0: Good morning everyone, welcome, come on in. As usual, there are handouts in the back if you'd like to follow along. And I have also provided up front here some completed versions of the prior week's handouts if you uh, would like copies of those. I'll have them down in the front here for you. So we are in week seven of our Attributes of God study. And today we're going to cover another two glorious attributes of God. His truthfulness and His wisdom. And before we start, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, You are perfect and complete in all ways. You are infinite in Your power, Your knowledge, Your righteousness, but You're also truthful and wise. You know what's best for everyone at all times, and we thank You for that. Help us, Lord, as we look into your attributes of truthfulness and wisdom. And as a result, may we know you better. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So these attributes of truthfulness and wisdom are what we call communicable. We've talked about that before, that they're shared with us to a degree. Each of us has the ability to demonstrate, to some degree, both truthfulness and wisdom. Uh, But not perfectly, of course. Only God does that. But as we continue to study these communicable attributes, I trust it will be clear to us that while we can likely understand them perhaps easier than some of the incommunicable attributes, especially since we have this ability to exhibit them, that we also realize at the same time just how we are not like God in our fallen state. And any time we demonstrate these um, attributes is only because of the grace that God gives us to do so. Both truth and wisdom are treasures that we are to seek as well. Proverbs twenty three twenty three says, buy truth. Do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. So this is not just an attribute that we look at God, but it is what He wants us to. To have as well. So let's first look at God's truthfulness. His truthfulness. I've defined it here as God's absolute and unchanging revelation of himself and his will to humanity. His unchanging revelation of himself and his will to humanity. It's crucial for us in our understanding of God that we rely on the fact that he is truthful. We can't take that for granted. Our faith depends on the promise that what he says is true, accurate, and trustworthy. All of it. The Bible teaches that God is truth. There's no greater truth than what God speaks about himself in his word. Steve Lawson says this, The truthfulness of God means that he is the God of truth. He speaks only the truth. God is the author of truth. He is the source of truth. He is the determiner of truth. He is the arbitrator of truth. He is the final judge of all truth. He is the ultimate standard of all truth. So, what is truth? In a word, truth is reality. It's the way things actually are. It's not the way things may appear to be or maybe the way we want things to be ourselves or what others may say things are, but it's reality. And truth is whatever God says is reality. And it conforms to the mind and the character of God. So the Latin word for truth is veritas. Uh, You may have heard that term before. Uh, In the world of computers in which I work, There there are companies that make software for backing up data in case the data is lost or it's corrupted. You may use some of that software yourself. Um, There is a company that's in this business whose name is Veritas. I always thought that was a really good name for a company that's in the business of ensuring that files that get backed up can be restored. And recovered because when someone needs a file restored that was lost or corrupted they expect the contents of that to be in reality a true or a veritas copy of that file so as such truth is never vague or uncertain we don't want uncertainty when we talk about truth God does not speak ambiguously or he's unclear about anything His Word has been made known in a way that can be studied, interpreted, and accurately understood. Right. So here are some ways that we can understand the truthfulness of God. Number one, God is truth. God is truth. This may seem really simple, but we need to start here. This is absolutely foundational for our understanding of truth. We've got to start here because truth begins with God. David says in psalm thirty one five that he is the God of truth Isaiah says at sixty five sixteen He is the God of truth. God not only has truth, he is truth. it is his nature, and all truth comes from him. Thomas Watson said, is the truth. He is true in a physical sense, true in his being. He is true in a moral sense. he is true without errors, without deceit. God is the pattern and prototype of truth. There is nothing true but what is in God or comes from God. Truth comes from nowhere else. Not from our culture, not from the traditions of men, not from any human. Whatever God says is truth. Jesus Christ says in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. Notice that definite article. In front of the word truth, the truth, not a truth, not an indefinite article, a definite article, he is declaring he is the only truth. There is no truth outside of himself. Also, three times in the Gospel of John and once in First John, the Holy Spirit is defined as the spirit of truth. It is inherent in his nature. So God is truth. Number 2, God is precise. He is precise. God's truth is not just directionally accurate. It's precise and inerrant, meaning that it's without error. God never misrepresents who he is or makes any mistakes, even down to the smallest detail. Jesus says, Matthew 5:18, "For truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus is speaking with precision here. Uh, no, notice how he begins that statement. He emphasizes it with the words, for truly I say to you. you know, the King James Version says, for verily I say to you. Verily, similar to veritas, right? verily means truly or certainly. Every event recorded in the Bible is a true account. Every doctrine teaches uh, from God is trustworthy because he himself is the truth and what he says is precisely true. Number three, God is infallible. He is infallible. When God speaks through his word, it's not only inerrant, meaning that it's without error, it's also infallible. Webster's Dictionary defines infallible as incapable of error, not liable to mislead, deceive, or disappoint. So whatever God says in His Word is true for all people at all times. Whatever He said He will do, it will surely come to pass. Psalm 119.90 says, Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. He will keep all the promises that He's made. Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. His word stands forever, which means that what he says in his word is flawless, and every promise will be fulfilled. Put another way, his infallibility means that we can trust him. Number four, God is outspoken. He is outspoken. Not only is he inerrant and infallible in what He says in His Word, He does so in a bold and an outspoken way, without hesitation, direct, straightforward. Hard sayings are not softened. He doesn't sugarcoat or soften His message to make it more palatable. Jesus exemplified this as well. What He proclaimed from the Father, He did so publicly. John eight twenty six. Jesus says, the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. When Jesus was questioned by Anna the high priest, he says in John eighteen twenty, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. Jesus was outspoken. He didn't hide the truth, regardless of who was listening. Or how it was received. Number five. God is clear. He is clear. He's not only outspoken. He's also clear. He never obscures the truth. Psalm 19.8 says. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The word for pure here. Means clear. Or lucid. God's word. Always shines brightly. Clearly revealing the truth. That theological term for this is the perspicuity of Scripture. That's a $2 word, but it means that the essential truths of Scripture are clear and understandable to everyone. Now, not everything in Scripture is entirely clear. I'm not saying that and easy to understand. However, but what we must understand in order to be saved is absolutely clear. That's the perspicuity of Scripture. Larry Pettigrew defines the perspicuity of the Bible like this. The Scriptures are clear enough for the simplest person to live by. The Scriptures are deep enough for readers of the highest intellectual ability. The Scriptures are clear in all of their essential matters. The obscurity that a reader of the Bible may find in some parts of the Scriptures is the fault of finite and sinful humankind. And sometimes, what we may think is unclear in Scripture may not really be unclear. It just might be hard. It's not our inability to understand it at times, but our resistance to believe it and to obey it. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us, not only to under- understand Scripture, but to apply it. And Jesus multiple times said the religious leaders, have you not read? Uh, referring to the Old Testament. He expected them to know what God says in his word, which is open for all to read and understand. So God's truth is clear. Number six, God is commanding. He is commanding. What God says in his word is authoritative, he doesn't just give good advice, he places demands on us. Some people say they read the Bible for information, or history, or out of curiosity. But it contains divine truth that demands allegiance, not just curiosity. James one twenty two, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. John 14.15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. We must act on what we know is true. Number seven, God is consistent. He is consistent. God never contradicts himself. Nothing he says will ever negate or cancel anything else that he says. Every doctrine revealed in Scripture holds together to reveal a consistent standard of truth. Ephesians 4, 5, Paul talks about one faith. And this faith, in Jude 3, once for all handed down to the saints. So the truth of God is singular. From Genesis to Revelation, the counsel of God fits together perfectly as a consistent framework of truth. Number eight, God is unalterable. He is unalterable. We studied earlier, if you recall, the immutability of God, the fact that he never changes. Well, this also applies to his truth. When he speaks it, it can never be altered or amended. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Isn't that comforting to know? This world can never promise that. But God's word is fixed. Jesus says in Matthew twenty four thirty five, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Charles Spurgeon said, opinions alter, but truth certified by God can no more change than the God who uttered them. So his word and his truth is unalterable. Lastly, number nine, God is illuminating he is illuminating the truth of God is expressed in his word and the way we truly understand it is through the work of illumination by the Holy Spirit for those who are believers who have the indwelling spirit those who have trusted in Christ for salvation this applies this indwelling spirit of God in believers, illumines His Word, His truth, so that we can truly comprehend it. Mere human reasoning is not sufficient to truly understand God's truth. God must enlighten the mind. Psalm 119 says multiple times, teach me your statutes. Verse 18 says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. If if anyone wants to truly know the truth, it must be taught and revealed to him or her from God. When Peter makes his confession to Christ, Jesus responds, Matthew 16, 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It was God who opened Peter's eyes to understand the truth of who Jesus is. And the same is true for us today if we're going to know the truth. Jesus also says in John 16, 13, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. Paul prays that God would illumine the truth of believers. Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what, the, what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. John MacArthur says the Spirit regenerates, the Spirit sanctifies, and the Spirit illuminates. He's the anointing who is in us, abiding in us leading us to an understanding of Scripture so that we can know the truth, walk in the truth, obey the truth, and demonstrate the reality of our redemption. So God is illuminating His truth to believers. Now, you may be asking, if God is always truthful and clear, What about Jesus, who spoke in parables that appeared to be unclear to some people? In Matthew 13, the disciples asked Jesus why he spoke in parables. Jesus answers in verse 13. I love it. He gives gives us a response. He tells us why. He says, I speak to them in parables because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. He's speaking in parables to hide the secrets of the kingdom from some and reveal it to others. It doesn't mean that he's speaking in a way that only a few elite can understand. In fact, some of the enemies of Christ understood exactly what he was saying. Matthew 21, Jesus tells the parable of the landowner, and in verse 45 it says, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables they understood that he was speaking about them. So not always were they confused. Their problem wasn't understanding what he was saying, but rather their refusal to trust and accept his teaching. However, there were some others who didn't understand, but this is intentional on Jesus' part, as he said earlier in Matthew 13. Matthew Henry says this, Christ taught in parables, thereby the things of God were made more plain and easy to those willing to be taught, and at the same time, more difficult and obscure to those who were willingly ignorant. So some takeaways here on the attribute of God's truthfulness. Number one, we can always count on God to be true to himself and to be true to his word. Nothing in this world can completely and fully make that promise. Only God can. His nature never changes. His word never changes. And that is certainly a rock on which we can depend on. Number two, when necessary, repent of any unbelief in God's truth. We need to regularly check our understanding and our beliefs against His word believers alike. Greg Nichols says, unbelief and skepticism call God a liar. When sinners reject His testimony, they insult His truthfulness. In dark times, do you rest on His Word? If not, repent. Meditate on God's attributes of truthfulness. Remember that He can be trusted. So, that is a brief Observation of God's truthfulness. So, let's move on to his next attribute is his wisdom. I've defined God's wisdom as God's perfect use of knowledge according to his eternal plan and purpose. Perfect use of knowledge according to his eternal plan and purpose. God's wisdom is the Practical outworking of his goodness and his omniscience, being that he's all knowing, putting that knowledge to best use. J.I. Packer describes uh, wisdom this way Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal, together with the surest means of attaining it. Wisdom is, in fact, the practical side of moral goodness. As such, it is found in its fullness only in God. He alone is naturally and entirely and invariably wise. So, when we apply our knowledge to the best and highest goal, we are being wise. Practically applying our understanding but only God does this perfectly. God's wisdom is not only the practical application of His knowledge, it also carries with it a purpose, which is ultimately to accomplish all things for His glory and also for our good. And with His omnipotence, He has the power to do it. A few weeks ago, we covered His Attributes of omnipotence, being all-powerful, and his sovereignty, his supreme authority, if you remember. If you think, if God were not wise, then we would be left with a God who has all power and all control, but could misuse it. He is wise in his use of his power. So let's look at some characteristics of God's wisdom. Number one, God is all wise. He is all wise. All of God's choices are perfect choices. He always has the highest end in mind. And not only that, He employs the best ways to achieve those highest ends. You've heard it said that God not only ordains the end of all things, He also ordains the means. His sovereign and omnipotent ordaining is also carried out with his perfect wisdom. There's no shortage of biblical evidence for God's wisdom. Just a few. Job confesses in chapter 12, verse 13, with him are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understanding. Psalm 104, 24 O oh Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. In the New Testament, we see Paul exclaiming in Romans eleven thirty three, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God." He also speaks of the manifold wisdom of God in Ephesians three ten. That word "manifold," it means many colored, abounding in variety. The wisdom of God is multidimensional beyond our comprehension. And, of course, Christ himself, uh, according to Colossians 2.3, is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom personified. Stephen Charnock speaks of Christ as being the personal wisdom of God as he opens to us the secrets of God. He is all wise. Number two, God is discerning. He is discerning. God's wisdom is so complete that He perceives every situation for what it truly is. He never misreads anything like we have the tendency to do at times. So, Psalm thirty-three fifteen 15 says, He who fashions the hearts of them all he who understands all their works. A.W. Tozer said, God works with flawless precision because God sees the end from the beginning and he never needs to back up. And God not only knows everything, we know that he's omniscient, but he also understands the deep and inner workings of the human heart. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 11 with me. Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3. This is Isaiah prophesying about the Messiah Christ's discernment. In verse 2. "'The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, "'the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, "'the Spirit of counsel and strength.'" the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And what's the result of this discernment? Look in verse 3. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. Jesus will not judge by outward appearances. He will see through all of that and peer into the depths of everyone's heart's with perfect wisdom and discernment. He is discerning. Number three, God is strategic. He is strategic. Not only is God perfectly discerning, He's strategic in making the best choices. He exercises perfect judgment in selecting the best means to reach the greatest good which, of course, is ultimately His glory. In His wisdom, God not only chooses the right end, He chooses that path that is best to get there. True wisdom always promotes the highest outcome of God's glory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whatever we do, if we are glorifying God when we do it, We're being wise. Number four, God is skillful. Not only does God make the right choices in his wisdom, he also does it skillfully. An amazing example of this is in his creation. In particular, the human body with all its complexities. Many times, creation is related not only to his power, his creating power, but his wisdom. David writes in Psalm 139.15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. In a mother's womb, God skillfully weaves together all the parts of a baby's body. Another example is the world itself. God precisely placed it at the exact angle, set it in motion just at the right speed and the distance from the sun. Right? Right? The earth's beauty is also a mark of his skillful design. Psalm nineteen one: the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. So in his wisdom, he is skillful. Number five, God is astute. He is astute. Astute here, meaning that God always accurately assesses situations and people. In divine wisdom, God is astute in that he always rightly calculates every situation for the best outcome according to his will, never acting in an ill-advised way. God uses all things to bring about his greatest good. Take the narrative of Joseph in Genesis sold into slavery by his brothers, falsely accused and thrown into jail. But looking back on it, he says to his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Only divine wisdom along with omnipotence and sovereignty can work such situations for good. His wisdom is astute. Number six, God is contrary. He is contrary. Now, this doesn't mean that God is a contrarian. That's not what I'm implicating here. But rather, his wisdom sometimes works in ways that seem counter to the natural mind of man. He delights in using what the world perceives to be foolish to accomplish his eternal purposes. Paul describes this in detail in 1 Corinthians 1. Let's turn over there. I want you to see this passage in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 25. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 25. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing on the cross was certainly not wise to humans, Jews or Gentiles. It was a blasphemous murder, but it was all according to God's wise counsel. God used the persecution of the early church to spread the gospel, something that would appear to be contrary to most people. God, in His wisdom, has used the most unusual Or contrary means evil adversity and trials to bring about the greatest good in the lives of his people so he's not a contrarian but there are contrary means according to human wisdom that he uses at times number seven god is mysterious related to this but a little different God is mysterious. We, we've, much, we've learned much about God's wisdom from what he has revealed to us in his word. But in his wisdom, he's also chosen to withhold many divine mysteries from mankind. Now, we don't know everything he's going to do in the world or what he's currently doing. Deuteronomy 29.29 declares, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. In this particular context, the things revealed, this refers to primarily to the law that he had made known through Moses at the time. But the secret things is how he will carry out his sovereign will. For example, God never revealed to Job at the time the warfare that was going on that was taking place with Satan. Apparently, he chose to keep that a mystery to Job at least at the time, but in his wisdom, God did this and Job trusted God in the midst of great suffering and loss. Steve Lawson says, in perfect wisdom, God works in mysterious ways with all his children amid their tribulations. All we can do is trust the perfect wisdom and love of God for his people that he will reveal what we need to know to persevere in difficulty. We also learn that God sometimes hides wisdom from the wise and the intelligent of this world. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty five, "I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants." He also concealed the truth of the gospel from self righteous religious leaders. James four six says, "God is opposed to the proud." But gives grace to the humble. So, wise or not, whoever comes to Christ must do so humbly, trusting in the gospel of grace and not on their own knowledge. Lastly, number eight, God is unfathomable. He is unfathomable. As much as we have attempted to explore the wisdom of God, we've got to realize that His wisdom far exceeds our comprehension. He reminds us of this in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Divine wisdom in the gospel is inconceivable to man's finite intellect. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says this, Yet we do speak of wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This fathomless depth of God's wisdom is best seen in the cross of Christ. His crucifixion, His death and resurrection. The best and brightest minds would never have envisioned such a thing. Now, you may be asking... If we can share in God's wisdom, why doesn't he give us insight into his providence? After all, I mean, if we had this understanding, then we could discern why things happen the way they do. Uh, Many mysteries would be solved. We would have more clarity into God's purposes. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, uh, called this the York signal box mistake. Anybody heard of the York signal box mistake? Okay. So, in York, England, there is a great train yard, uh, and it contains a signal tower over that train yard. It's also called a signal box. And inside it, there's this large electrical board with lights that show where all the trains are on the various tracks, lots of different tracks. It also contained switches or signals in this box that are used to direct those trains from one track to another. So the station master who sits in the signal box knows all the details of the interweaving routes and controls the destination of every train. So if we expect to have full insight into God's providence, in essence, fully grasping the the wisdom of the means of how he achieves his objectives, we're putting ourselves in the signal box where we don't belong. Instead, Packer calls for a more realistic approach, which is not to elevate ourselves to equal God's wisdom, but rather notice what's in front of us as the train's. Responding wisely to those things, knowing that God is in the signal box. Our joy and our security don't come from knowing everything, but knowing the one who does. Packer said, God in his wisdom to make and keep us humble and teach us to walk by faith has hidden from us almost everything that we should like to know about the providential purposes which he is working out in the churches and in our own lives. It is for our good. Paul says in Romans 12, 16, do not be wise in your own estimation. The wisdom here is not godly wisdom he's talking about, rather motivated by pride. Some takeaways here on wisdom. Number one, whenever you're perplexed about what to do, you have a difficult decision to make in front of you. A. Plead to God for wisdom. Psalm 119.66 Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. James 1.5 But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God wants us to have his wisdom. He's delighted to give it to us when our hearts are set to receive it. However, James goes on to say in verses 6-8, through But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. God knows the position of our hearts. When we're committed to trusting him and obeying his word, he pours out his wisdom on us. Jeremiah 29:13 You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. But if we want to retain the right to disobey, we're double-minded. We may not receive the wisdom that we ask for. Just look at the many warnings in the book of Proverbs on the consequences of spurning, rejecting wisdom. Another thing to do if you're perplexed about what to do, letter B, simply ask what will most glorify God? If you're not sure what to decide on something, or perhaps there's not a verse that speaks directly to your situation, just ask this question of yourself. What will most glorify God in this situation? What will honor Him? That is always the wisest choice, whether you're perplexed about something or not. And when God is most glorified, He also brings the greatest good and joy to His people. Number two, godly wisdom requires godly fear. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it begins. We must have a reverence and an awe of God's character before we can expect to reflect His wisdom. A great way to do that is to meditate on His Word, to meditate on His attributes. Beeky and Cosby say this in their book, None Else. The more we align our thoughts and hearts with the thoughts of God found in His Word, the more we will appropriate and display godly wisdom because wisdom comes from God. So we must understand that God's words are reliable and in His wisdom that He knows what is best. Then we trust Him, put our rest in Him, knowing that in His sovereignty, He will work things out, both for His glory and also for our good. And we repent of unbelief and pray for grace to believe Him more. I'll end by reading Proverbs 2, verses 2 through 6. And... May this be true of all of us. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Let's pray. Father, You are truth, and You are all wise. Thank You that we've been given Your Word that is without error and is clear, and that You delight in giving us wisdom as we submit to You and seek You. Give us humility to recognize You're working all things according to Your wisdom, even when we struggle to understand it. While we don't understand how Your providence works, I pray that you would help us to walk by faith, knowing that you're in control. As we continue to worship you this morning, I pray that you would impress your truth on our hearts through your word and by your spirit. In Christ's name that we pray, amen.